Father, we do give you thanks for the opportunity to sit and be still before you. For some of us, maybe this is the first moment of the entire week that we sat still. We just pray, Lord, as we enter into your word that you would uh, speak, that you would comfort, that you would encourage, you would convict, Lord, that you would equip us. So bless our time together in Jesus' name, amen. Well, it is my pleasure uh, to be with you this morning and to be able to preach God's word. As John mentioned, uh, we are in an Advent series, and I'm noticing whenever I come to preach, uh, the guys in the back who are faithful and on top of things, I wreak havoc in their life. And so I love to use my iPad to do things on the screen, and it just causes trouble for them. So bear with me as they bear with me, um, because I think my slide should be up there already. So, so we'll just go with it. Um, but we are in an Advent season, uh, and as John mentioned, Advent means arrival, and so we're in a season of waiting and anticipation of celebrating the birth of Jesus. And so last week, Josh Kinsley did a wonderful job of kicking off the series with a special focus on hope, and this morning we're going to be focusing more specifically on peace. And so let me try again to connect, and let me pray again. How about that? Father, I just pray uh, that you would help uh, the faithful servants who have been extremely patient with me. Would you guide them by your wisdom? Thank you, as great as technology is, and as much as I love it, that we're not utterly dependent upon it. So, Lord, would you just bless our time regardless? And, Lord, that you would be the focus, not what's up on the screen or not. And so we thank you, Lord. And pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. How about that? Look at that. So this week's focus is on peace. God just gave me a little peace right there. And the irony of, of, of being assigned this particular topic for this particular week is I did not really have a peaceful week. And so the week started uh, driving to an appointment early on Monday morning, and uh, the dreaded engine light went on in my car. And so for the next three or four days, the engine light stayed on. I wasn't able to take the car to the mechanic, and suddenly it went off. And so in the back of my mind, I'm waiting for it to come back on. Um, th throughout the week, uh, I had conversations, uh, multiple conversations with close friends who were going through extremely difficult times and were looking for encouragement and prayer. Uh, we had one friend who uh, is in, had uh, an extremely dangerous surgery and is still coming out of it. Uh, I have had personally uh, very uncomfortable and awkward conversations, difficult conversations with people uh, during this week on the phone. And then uh, I didn't sleep well. And then on top of that, last night, I just felt this pain and I look in the mirror and I have a zit right here. <laughs> And so it's been that kind of week. 
And so some of you have had even harder weeks. Maybe you've had two zits. And so like me, maybe you're wondering, how can I find peace today, right here, even in this place? And so for me, this question about peace became not just a sermon topic, but a personal quest. And so I want to take you on a little journey of what I discovered. I wanted to look specifically at peace in and through the lens of the person and the words of Jesus. And so let's take it back into the Old Testament with the words of Isaiah that were read earlier. And let's set some context for that passage in Isaiah chapter 9. And I kind of want us to imagine uh, roughly 2,500 years ago, this is the setting and this is what it looked like in the Middle East. And uh, I don't know if this is a little, little simplistic, but I, wanna, I want you to try to picture this as a playground like an elementary school playground. And so you have is, uh, Judah down here. And at this particular time, the kingdom has been split into two. And so 10 of the tribes of Israel are in the north, and there are two in the south. And, and the biggest bully on the playground is this uh, country called Assyria. And so let's draw Assyria. Let's pick a better color. Assyria is uh, the biggest bully on the block. Big muscles. <laughs> and so what happens in the context of Isaiah chapter 9 is that Syria gets a little nervous and Israel gets a little nervous about the big bully on the playground. And so those two come over to Judah and they say, hey, Join our gang, and we're going to go take on Assyria. And so Judah's kind of in this, this middle place, and so they decide that they're going to actually head straight over to Assyria and pay Assyria a ton of money and say, if we give you all this money, will you protect us? And so they're paying the local mafia protection money, and it's in the middle of this tension that Isaiah then speaks forth, chapter 9, verse 6. And so for to us, a child is born, to a son is given, and the government shall, rest upon, uh, shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Now, when I was growing up, uh, I was always a pretty scrawny little kid, and there was this one particular week, weekend that my dad took me to the playground, and uh, we were trying all these little uh, different kinds of playground equipment, and uh, this kid came up who was much bigger than me, even though he was a year younger than me, and I found out his name was Tyrone. And so Tyrone comes up and starts taking every swing that I was about to jump on, Every, uh, 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 um, the, the old school merry-go-round that I jump on, Tyrone would jump on it first. And so Tyrone is following me around, even though there's really nobody else upon, out on the playground, and he's essentially bullying me. And so I'm feeling super awkward, and Tyrone's following me around, and then suddenly my dad comes, and he starts to talk to Tyrone. You ever felt like that? Picked on? Helpless? 
week. They don't have to necessarily be on a playground. It could be in your workplace. It could be in your own home. And if you're in a situation like that, then the greatest desire is that you would have somebody else, somebody bigger, somebody stronger, who would be able to take care of the Tyrones in our life. And so naturally, the people of Judah were thinking, ah, the Prince of Peace. God is finally going to send the Messiah, the Chosen One, the King, and he's going to take care of the Assyrians. But if you know the story, you know that as big of a bully as Assyria was, Babylon begins to raise up and becomes a bigger bully. And Babylon comes and actually wipes out Assyria and then becomes the big bully on the block. And so again, Judah is, is, is kind of stuck in the middle saying, what should we do? And they make the same decision and they move over to Babylon and they say, hey, if we pay you this money, could you, quote, protect us? And so Babylon says, okay. And so uh, they keep paying this money until uh, King Jehoiakim refuses to pay. Babylon doesn't like that. They head over. They decimate Judah. They raise the temple to the ground. They grab everyone there, and they take them back as slaves to Babylon. And so it's hard not to imagine if you were one of those people who heard the prophet Isaiah say, the prince of peace is coming. And you're expecting him to take care of the Assyrians. Okay, maybe you didn't take care of the Assyrians. How about the Babylonians? And as they sit there in the middle of Babylon, it's hard not to wonder what happened to the prince of peace. Was Isaiah just a little mistaken? Did the Messiah come and we missed him? Fast forward 600 years or so. Here's Judah down here. And all of a sudden, Judah or Israel is still there, but Babylon is long gone. And now the biggest bully on the block 600 years later is Rome. And Rome is the biggest bully that anyone had ever seen up until that point because Rome owns all of this. And Judah is now part of that all of this. And so the people of Israel know that their God has already gone silent for 400 years. They haven't heard anything directly from him through any prophets and it's in the midst of this setting, then suddenly a young carpenter named Joseph and his wife Mary journey to Bethlehem for a census that was ordered by Caesar Augustus. And while in their hometown, Mary gives birth to her firstborn son, whom she named Jesus. And so it's in the midst of this context that we then turn into Luke chapter 2. And on the very night that Jesus was born, in the same region, there was a group of shepherds tending their flocks, and suddenly an angel of the Lord comes upon them and says, Fear not. 
For behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those whom he has pleased. So the Messiah is born and God sends a massive choir to the unlikeliest of people, the shepherds of the field, and they give them this massive concert. And they sing glory to God. And on earth peace to you. And so the king of the Jews, the Messiah, Jesus brings peace. And again, the people anticipate a Messiah who will defeat the bully. And so they're anticipating now this king will rise up and he will overthrow Rome. But if you know the story, again, it doesn't happen. And nearly 40 years later, Rome comes into Jerusalem and once again does the same thing and raises the temple to the ground in AD 70. And since that time, for thousands of years, war has continued in that region up until this day, including the violence that has been raging in the Gaza Strip. And so in so many ways, it seems like nothing has changed. How has the Prince of Peace brought peace to this world? And so to understand what kind of peace Jesus brings, we have to look specifically at what he says about the peace that he brings. And so if we look at his words in John chapter 14, verse 25, he says, These things I have spoken to you while I am still with you, but the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. And so as we, we, we kind of dig a tiny bit deeper into what Jesus' peace is about, he, he himself actually contrasts it and says, my peace that I give to you, it's, it's not as the world gives. So he starts with where the people's minds are already at. And he says, if you think about the world, the, the kind of peace that the world gives, that's not what I'm talking about. And so I was thinking about our own world and just trying to think about what does is, what is our own world kind of say about peace, especially in a season like this. And so I just clicked onto Instagram. And I just typed in the word peace. And I just started flipping through quotes that were, were posted by various random people. And so here's three that I just pulled literally off of Instagram. Peace is a choice. Learn to be done, not mad, not bothered, just done. Protect your peace at all costs. And when someone is mean, don't listen. When someone is rude, walk away. When someone tries to put you down, stay firm. 
Don't let someone else's bad behavior destroy your inner peace. Now, if I took just these three and tried to kind of summarize the overall message, I think it's something like this. Peace is a choice that you can make. And so uh, try to find that peace in yourself. And once you find it, protect it at all costs. And so no matter what happens out in the world, no matter what happens around you, no matter what others may say or do, Protect that peace that you've chosen to grab hold inside of you and protect it at all costs. In some ways, it's, it's somewhat Buddhist. The, the overall Buddhist world, world uh, view has this sense that the goal of life is to kind of avoid the negativity out into the world, go deep somewhere inside myself, and find that inner peace. Now, this type of peace is pointless because, as you know, we can only insulate ourselves for so long from this broken world. No matter how much we close our eyes or turn off the TV or, 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 or put down our phones, we know that inevitably the results of a broken world will come our way. And so it's foolish to pretend that a sinful world around us won't bother us. And so it's like the wicked leaders in Jeremiah chapter 6, verse 13, that said, peace, peace. They proclaimed peace, peace, but there was no peace. Uh, I went to uh, college in, in California uh, at the University of, of California, Irvine. And if you're familiar with Orange County in Southern California, uh, Irvine is next to Newport Beach. And so it was during finals week. And that particular week, the fires had begun in Newport Beach and Laguna Hills. And so as a student, as you went onto campus, you could begin to smell the smoke, and it grew uh, thicker and thicker. And so it, got, it was finals week, and so everyone was kind of stressed, and we were at a Christian fellowship that night, a campus Christian fellowship, and me and my friend Eric uh, were getting ready to leave, and there was a young girl, a, a really small a freshman girl who was literally uh, almost in tears because she was distraught about the finals and she was distraught about the fires that were coming. So Eric said, hey, John and I are walking in the direction of your dorm. What if we just walk with you and, and then we can drop you off and keep going? She said, oh, that'd be wonderful. So as we're walking, and I'm walking behind her and Eric, Eric is doing the best job he can to assure her that everything is going to be okay. And while Eric is walking, I'm looking past the two of them, and all I can see on the horizon is the fires literally coming over the hills. And so Eric is just really trying to assure her. He's got really good intentions. Uh, we get up to her, her, her dorm hallway, opens the door. She goes in and says, thank you so much. I feel so much better. The door closes. Eric turns around. He looks up at the hillside. He goes, oh, my gosh, we're all going to burn. And I was like, that's what I was trying to tell you. He goes, I know I saw it out there, but I just, you know, I, I was like, why did you keep telling her it was going to be okay? I just wanted her to feel better. Peace, peace. There's no peace. 
And so even if we can somehow ignore the brokenness of this world and we recess into our own hearts and souls and try to search for some sort of inner peace, I guarantee that if you're like me, you won't find it there. Because if I'm honest enough and if you're honest enough, then what we'll soon discover is the brokenness out there is also inside here. And so the sin that dwells out there also dwells in my own heart. And so peace is not to be found in the world. Uh, peace, let me turn back to John 14 again. Peace is not found out in the world. It's not found in me. It's only in Jesus. And so notice specifically that Jesus not only says, this peace I give to you, it's not going to be as the world gives. But Jesus says, this is mine. This is about me. I, I own this peace I'm going to give to you. And so Jesus says uh, he's the giver of peace because he owns the peace. And so Jesus recognizes that the world is broken and sin dwells in the hearts of people. And he knows that this is just a really big problem. Not just a big problem, but an eternal one. And so the Bible tells us that God is perfect, pure, and holy. There is no one like him. And when we all come face to face with him at the end of our lives, we will stand before him and we will realize that he is so much better, so much higher, so much more holy than we are. And because of our own sin, Romans 5.11 says, as we stand there, we will realize we are enemies of God. And if you're like me, you may think, I'm going to make things right with him. I'm going to look inward. I'm going to try harder. But no matter what I do, I cannot make things right with God. The Bible tells me that even my best laid plans are but filthy rags before him. And so maybe after we discover, well, they're filthy rags, but if I look around at me, I'm not as bad as him or her. And that's where Romans 3 tells us, actually, there's no one righteous, not even one. It's like, really, not even one? And then Romans 3.23 goes on to say, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. You know what that means? That means the biggest problem from blocking my peace in my life, the biggest problem of blocking your peace in your life is not the Assyrias or the Romes or even the Tyrones of our lives. It's the very sin in my own heart that's preventing me from being at peace with the God who lovingly created me. You know how easy it would have been for Jesus to conquer Rome? but it would have been a temporary fix. The heart of Israel's problem was not the bully on the playground, but the presence of sin in their midst, which leads to death. And so rather than destroy evil empires, Jesus conquered the evil inside of us by offering his life as a sacrifice, as a payment for our sins. 
And therefore, in Romans chapter 5, verse 1, it says, therefore, we've been justified or we've been declared right with God that we have peace with God. And it happens not by our own might, but through the work of Jesus, through his life, through his death, and by his resurrection. And so through him, we've obtained access to the Father by faith. It's by grace and, and in his grace that we stand and we rejoice in the hope of glory. If you have not made your peace with God through faith in Jesus, let me encourage you to consider doing so. In just a, a few moments, we're actually going to have a time of response. We'll be taking the Lord's Supper, which is a representation of what God, Jesus did for us on the cross. But if, if you have yet to place your faith in Jesus and make peace with God, let me encourage you to consider doing so. And it, it's the simplicity as it says in the passage, it comes by faith. Faith doesn't necessarily mean that you somehow raise up the courage and the strength to say, I've got it. Faith really is saying, I don't got it. But Jesus does. And so I cry out to you this day, Jesus. Save me. Help me. Pay for me. And if that's something that you either do or would like to do, I know that Pastor John, myself, or maybe the very person who brought you would love to speak with you about that. You know, the, the amazing thing about the stories that God writes, you know, uh, Tyrone on that playground, uh, he started telling my dad, my dad is bigger than you. And he actually told my dad, he said, my dad will beat you up. And I remember as a seven-year-old watching this going, oh, here it is. He's going to take Tyrone out of the playing ground. And I, I, I clearly remember it. My dad got down on his knees, so he was eye level with Tyrone. And he begins to speak gently to Tyrone, and Tyrone slaps his hand. And then I thought, here it is. Tyrone's going to be, and my dad just continued to speak to him, lovingly, firmly. Now, the beauty of all of that is years later, Tyrone and I are in high school. I discovered Tyrone actually became a Christian, and we actually laughed about that moment. He was somewhat sorry about it. And so you never know what God might be doing. It was the first time I realized, at least humanly speaking, as a young child, that I saw Christ's likeness at a moment of crisis being exemplified in my father. So let me end with this. What is, some of you are, are, are sitting there and you're thinking, well, what if I have made my peace with God through Christ? What, what if I am a Christian? And, and what if I do know that my, my eternal peace is secure through Christ? Like, what does it mean for me now? In other words, can I have any peace in this broken world? Or do I just simply need to hold my breath and close my eyes until either Jesus returns or I go home to be with him? Note back in the original passage we were looking at in John 14. Remember what he said before he said, Peace I give to you, my peace I leave to you. He says, the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send, my name, he will teach you all things and bring to you remembrance all things. 
So in the context of talking about peace, Jesus is talking about the Spirit. And a little bit later in John 14, he says, the, the Spirit is the helper that I give to you, and he's going to be with you forever. Remember when Jesus says in the Great Commission, lo and behold, I will be with you forever? It's like, wait, isn't he on in the throne now that he's been raised from the dead? The way he comes to us is in and through the Holy Spirit. He's with us forever, and it says that the Spirit dwells with you and in you. You and I, in Christ, can have peace right now, not because the world is perfect, not because God has removed the Assyrias or the Romes of your life. We can have peace in the midst of facing the Romes and the Assyrias in our life because God is with you. He is Emmanuel today. He dwells with you. He dwells in you. It's not just a floaty idea. When Jesus brings peace, he can't, like, put it in a baseball, a spiritual baseball, and toss it, and, and, and it just kind of, like, zaps us. Because true peace, remember who owns it? My peace. So to give the peace, Jesus has got to give himself or give, give God himself and so C.S. Lewis actually says, God cannot give us a happiness and peace apart from himself because it's not there. So we cannot have true peace outside, apart, disconnected from the very presence of God because he's the one who owns it. Anything apart from that, Lewis says, there's no such thing. And so I was reading an article a few weeks ago by a man named Trevin Wax, and he says one of the sins that we often commit but overlook is the sin of godlessness. And what he meant by that was not that we sit there and we just shake our fists at God, against God, but what we do is we live as if God was really not there. And so he said one of the marks of godlessness is prayerlessness. So we do life on our own, and we forget that he is not only right there watching us from on high, but he's right here with me. And so this week, I was struggling because of all the things I shared with you that were going on in the week, and what I found myself is, is, is I found that I was praying less. There was less of awareness of the God who is not only up there, reigning on high, but right here with me as I'm walking through these conversations, looking at the, light, the, the, the engine light in my car. Like the first thing I, I, I didn't do was pray that the engine light would go off. I was just complaining in my own heart. And so I found some of the sweetest, weirdest moments during the week were actually in Safeway, walking around, and I'm just going, what is this peace? What is this? And I just was praying, Lord, may I know your peace. And so I realized peace is not based on solely whether we feel it or not at that moment, as much as trusting in the promises of the God who tells us, I am with you forever. Beloved, you are facing Assyrias and Romes and Tyrones in your life. 
And God, it's okay to ask for the removal of those things in your life, but he may not. He may be going after your heart. He may be walking with you and in you in a season that's difficult, but as you do, you may discover Jesus in the weirdest places as you cry out to him. It could be in the safe way or on campus as you're just walking aimlessly. And so one of the things we see in Philippians chapter 4 is that we are not to be anxious about anything, but in everything, prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let our requests be made known to God. Bring that anxiety, bring that frustration, bring it all to God in prayer. And then it says the peace of God which surpasses all understanding, will guard our hearts and our minds. Out there? In here? No. In Christ Jesus. So as we head into our time of response, let me just give you just a real brief moment to sit silently and just practice the presence of God. And i.e., whatever it is, the Assyrians, the Romans, whatever is upon your life, approaching upon your life, bring those things directly to God who is with you here in our midst at this time. So, Father, we just come before you, and uh, we, we just practice Philippians 4. We bring our anxiousness, our needs, maybe our thanksgiving, our requests. We bring our hearts. Holy Spirit, we thank you that you are present with us forever. We thank you that we do not traverse the world of a broken world uh, without you. You're not only watching us, but you're right here with us. And so I pray, Lord, especially for those who are in the midst of extremely difficult weeks, that they would not only feel but also know and hold on to the truth and the promise that you walk every step of the way with them. And that despite the pain or the frustration that you are exacting and doing your good, Lord, do your good and bring your good. Give us patience as we wait. Thank you, Lord Jesus, we pray. It's in your name we pray, amen.